and Pastor Carrie, if we haven't met yet. Good to meet you. Um, I was going to give an update. Uh, John and Sally asked how, how camp was last week, by the way. Um, I was supposed to speak at a Bible camp up near Bemidji, north of Bemidji last week. And as I was leaving here, I get this phone call from the camp director. Call immediately. <laughs> so I call, and um, they had a COVID out- outbreak in their staff. And um, they had to cancel camp. And so I did not go. Um, and I just, I think I just felt so for those kids. You know, there's 65 junior hires that didn't get camp last year and thought they were going to have camp this year. And so I think there's just a, a reminder um, to me just for us to just keep praying for our children. You know, this, this whole COVID tidal wave is still on a roll. And um, yeah, so I didn't go up to camp last week. I was here on Tuesday and painting our kitchen and our living room. So I had, you know, quite the different week. But um, but yeah, so I didn't go up to camp, and I am hoping and praying that those counselors and people at camp are okay. So anyway, I'm here. I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to see you all. So let's start and pray this morning as we begin. Lord Jesus, thank and, we thank and praise you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are Lord and Savior, and that we are your children, and we can come together today worshiping you Um, as the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I thank you for each person that is in this place, and um, I just pray, Father, that you would meet them where they're at. Lord, help us to have a greater understanding and ability to worship you this morning. Keep working in our hearts and help us to know where we are off, where we have lost our way, where other things have come in place of you, And Lord, help us also to model what it means to love and to praise you and live a life that seeks after you to this world that is watching. So Father, be with me as I preach your word. Be in my heart and my mind, and I pray for my friends here as well. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. So as we kind of started with our children today, the question was, if you were to explain worship and what worship is, what would you say? Um, and that, this always is kind of one of those nebulous words that I think as Christians we're like, um, it is, and then we like kind of stumble and fumble our way through explaining it, or, or I go to church on Sunday and that's what this is. Um, so I think that's kind of one of those words that we, we know what it is inside, but articulating it is really, really hard. Um, I found some pictures, I, I was scrolling through the internet, um, and I found some pictures that were just thinking of what we think of the posture of worship. Um, here's an old picture um, of, there's obviously like a very crude altar and fire on the altar and um, people in front of the altar. Um, so sometimes we have this image of on our knees, um, bowing down, which I will get to in a little bit. I also found, next slide, Tony, um, some people think that Stonehenge was a place of worship at some point. It was also worshiping um, with astrology and with the movement of the stars. So people found their way there to worship a long, long time ago. You can do the next one. Um, here's, an, here's an idol with different animals as part of it. And then I found a picture of a totem with, again, different animals on it. And, and so throughout our history, um, we have so many examples of people seeking to worship. There's, there's something within us that seeks after God. Even, I would say, with, with the most um, uh, 
you know, stout person saying, I don't, I don't worship anything. Really, though, there is something in us that seeks to worship and to seek after something greater than ourselves, and that is where worship comes from. Um, if you think of the definition of the word worship, it means this. So there's a cu- couple things. It means, in Hebrew, shaka means to depress, to bow down, or to fall down flat. It's, it's, it means something physical. It's also a picture of humility before Yahweh. So it was, it was not just a physical laying down and bowing down and um, acting out, but it was also internally humility before the Lord God, Yahweh. The original word is there in Hebrew, and the definition is really to prostrate oneself in worship. And this is pretty amazing, but in the Old Testament, there's 1,242 verses that refer to worship in the Old Testament. And so it was something that was spoke of over and over and over again. And so as we have been making our way this summer through the book of Acts and thinking about the early church and the connection point, if you haven't been with us um, up until this Sunday, is that as, as COVID happened and church got reset um, and, and church as we know it as Christians really changed, I felt like it was really appropriate to kind of start from the basics again and, and start over and, and think about who are we now as Christ followers after something really um, big has happened in the past year, year and a half. I hate even saying a year and a half because it's like it just feels like it's a bad dream and it should have been yesterday. Um, but who are we as followers of Christ? What does Jesus ask of us? And how are we transformed by him and live in new ways as followers of Christ? Um, so many churches have had to figure out how do we do church again together? Um, there's people, I've, I have colleagues who have said, some people, we just don't know where they went. And, and the regathering has been really hard, and it's been, it's been traumatic. Um, there's been conflict with politics and you name it. And so in a way, we're, we're, we're forging new ground, and I think it's really exciting to think about where God is taking us. And as we keep our eyes on him, what does that mean to live transformed lives? So today, we're talking about transform worship. And the scripture that we are in today is Acts chapter 17. Something that's really interesting, just taking a pause, is that the Apostle Paul and the other disciples that were um, acting in the book of Acts and the story that we have, um, they had a Jewish audience that they spoke to and they had a non-Jewish audience. And so the intriguing part about this story is that it's the non-Jewish audience that Paul is talking to. And so the Jewish audience would have had a completely different understanding of worship versus the non-Jewish audience. And I, I think that's important for us to name because right now, I'm in church, I would guess, assume, that most of you would be my Jewish audience if I were Paul. They would be my, my church people, the people that knew God, that knew about him, um, that, that I would be coming to you as a context of people that are following God if we were back in that time. Um, I come to you now as mostly Christians that are here, and so the context is we understand some things about worship and who we worship and why we worship and how we worship. If you brought in a group of people, though, that didn't have that understanding, that they were outside of the church, um, they were the, the non-Jewish audience that Paul would be talking to, you have to, you have to set that up completely different. It'd be like um, my husband has given golf lessons, and if you have somebody that, for instance, um, they come to you and they've been a golfer for a long time, like I was at one point, and I had um, the shanks, and if any of you have ever golfed and know what the shanks are, they're horrible. It's like... I don't even know how to say it. It's like, 
having warts all over your hand or something like that. It's just this terrible thing that you just can't get rid of. And um, versus if you have somebody that has never golfed, never swung a club, and so how he would teach one person versus another is two different things. By the way, when I had the shanks, it took like, I think, two years to get rid of the shanks. And, and he had me standing this way to address the ball this way because it was so bad. That's how bad it was. So when we talk about worship, I think it's also important to name our context and, and our understanding of, of what, what we're talking about and who we're talking about it with because if you are a Christian, your understanding of worship is going to be completely different than a non-Christian and their understanding of worship. So it's important as we've set that up to think about Paul coming to Athens. Um, we're in Acts chapter 17. And um, Paul comes to the city of Athens. Has anybody ever been to Greece in this place? I've been wondering that too. Okay. I, you know, I would love to go to Greece. We were just talking about this last week. If you could get on a plane and go anywhere right now, I would go to Greece for sure. So Paul is in Athens. It says in verse 16, if you can get that slide up, um, Paul was waiting for them in Athens, and he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So what he did is what Paul usually did. He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. So again, he think of his audience. It was people that were of his mindset and understanding of worship, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Um, it's important to understand two contexts that Paul had just been run out of a few cities because um, a ruckus came up because he was preaching about Jesus and they got in trouble. Him and, um, him and Silas had gone to jail. Um, they go to Thessalonica. They get run out of that town. They have all kinds of issues. And so now he's waiting for um, for for Silas and Timothy to come and meet him, and so he's hanging out in Athens. So he goes and does what he usually does. He goes to find people that he can talk to about Jesus and testify about the resurrection. So he meets a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and they begin to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. I think this would be an epic thing to witness is first of all, Paul, who was a brilliant um, person. He was a lawyer. He had been a Pharisee. He was fully on fire for Christ. And then to see him debating with the philosophers at the time would be really fantastic, personally. And then they call him a babbler, which is really kind of funny because I'm sure he was nothing but a babbler. And then they're trying to figure out what is he talking about and who is he talking about because they probably had never heard about Jesus or the resurrection. So then something interesting happens, and scholars have debates about this. So did he go, was the Areopagus a court, or was it a place where people talked? Was it Mars Hill? And they say to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Again, they, had, they were completely outside of the context of who Jesus was and what the resurrection was. And may we know because you're bringing some strange new ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. So they want clarification. And so Paul uses this opportunity to go to a place where ideas are being debated. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Now does that sound like TikTok to you? Could be. So they spent their time debating, discussing, probably not coming to any conclusions, but talking about it. So then Paul takes this opportunity in verse 22, and he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, 
I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So I, I paused there. As I was doing reading this week, I, I found this um, document, documented thing that happened when there was a plague, that this plague happened, and so the people were trying to figure out what to do in Athens, and they had sent out black sheep and white sheep throughout the town, and wherever the black sheep or the white sheep landed, they sacrificed that animal and then put a god there. And so one of the spots there with one of the sheep was to the unknown god. And so this was a thing to make sure that they covered all their bases, and they made sure that they didn't miss anybody in case the unknown god could help them. So it was, it was a true thing. So he says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So he takes this moment to explain to them that the unknown God that they're, that they're naming is the Lord God. And he says, the Lord who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. It does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, and that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So he quotes their own context and their own, their own um, um, quoters and teachers. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day where he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, meaning Jesus Christ. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Again, he references Jesus. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, probably called him a babbler again. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject because clearly he had piqued their interest and had made them think about something that they had not thought about before. At that, Paul left the council. It says, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So a couple things um, that I wanted to just, I just wanted to share with you as I was reading in the commentary was the sermon that Paul gave, which was kind of a, a pop-up sermon. He had this opportunity to share with, with people that were completely outside of the concept of worshiping one God. As Paul is a, a monotheistic Jew, that there was one God. Um, in the Shema, it says that you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And, and from the Ten Commandments, Paul also knew and would have had audience with Jewish people of that there's only one God. And, that's, and we don't worship any other gods, but this is an audience where they have multiple gods and, and they haven't landed on one truth or, or one way, and so they, they worship it all to make sure that they don't miss anything. So Paul has this opportunity in Athens, and it was his sincere effort to reach an unfamiliar congregation of intellectuals. I think that's too, some of our most challenging um, people to reach is when you have deep thinkers and really smart people, sometimes that, that intellect can get in the way of, of the heart being changed. He begins by telling them how religious they already were. He's noting, you, you are really religious. You worship a lot of things. The city was filled with objects of, wor objects of worship. One might also say it was cluttered with altars. Those altars indicated that there was in the people some deep-seated desire to worship something. They were not blind to the mystery of life, nor were they totally deaf to the music of the heavenly spheres. The impulse to adore was still strong in them, 
and could not be successfully hidden by their intellectual coat of many colors. Paul's technique, therefore, was to begin by assuming this natural curiosity for religion and by giving them ample credit for what they already had. And he begins, I perceive you're very religious. I think that's a really good um, reminder for us is when we reach out to people and we talk to them about worship or we show them how we worship is that we don't go out telling them how they're wrong, but we observe, well, it looks like you're already doing this or, hmm, I see in your house this is important to you. I had this conversation just with someone who was talking to me about crystals and how the crystals for them are, are power that they, they have that they can put into. And I said, it kind of sounds like prayer in a way. So we had this really interesting conversation about that. This author says, following the technique of Paul on this particular um, occasion, the Christian, us as followers of Christ, might say something like, perhaps you are not religious in the formal sense of the word, Perhaps you belong to no church or profess no creed, but have you ever come home late at night? Did you, by the way, did you see the sun last night? Even though like it's smoky out, the sunsets have been amazing. Even with the smoke, it's still like, God, you made the sun, this is beautiful. Even people that are outside of knowing that there's one God who made the heavens and the earth, you can still say, did you see that sun? Have you ever looked up the stars and felt all your earthly ways and movements chastened by the silent glory of the sky? Have you ever planted a garden and as the seed sifted through your fingers been deeply stirred by the mystery of growth? Have you ever sat by your radio and listened to music that just caught you? Have you ever been drawn to the thought of time and space and sound waves and, and everything else that's amazing? For those of you that are young parents, have you ever stood beside your baby's crib and just wondered, how in the world did we make this thing? It is God. The answers to questions like these is invariably yes. And this is when, when we have those opportunities to use the ordinary experiences of life to come very close to the threshold of worship and to help somebody understand that they are they are seeking after something. There's an unconscious yet wistful worship, and, is, and this is what Paul is naming, to the altar of the unknown God. Paul found it among the other altars that were more specific and unabashed in their religious allegiances, and he begins at that altar to make his appeal for Christ. Paul went on to tell them that they were wasting their precious capacity for religion. They were worshiping unworthy gods, small ones that could be contained in an idol or an image. He told them about the God who is the maker and master of the universe, the source of all life, the Lord of all nations, the indwelling spirit of every single individual. And it was as if he said to them, if you're going to be religious, go big. If you're going to have a God, as all, all people secretly have, if, if the Lord God is not their God, a small God, then you know what? Develop, make the most of it. Just as a man whose ability to crawl is never satisfied to just crawl, but to walk. He, says, he basically says that a religion that uses about one-tenth of the religious capacity is not enough. Never be satisfied with a gold or a silver shrine. The God of the universe is much too alive and big and amazing to dwell in a thing like that. He has once dwelt in a person. That living image of God is the only image that is worthy of our serious devotion, and that is Jesus Christ. So Christians, you know, I think that, that helps us come to a place of Paul explaining to them that I know the person that you're worshiping, this unknown person that you're trying to catch, and it's Jesus. And he takes that, that opportunity to help them know who that person is. And I think about us, too, is if we know Jesus and, and, and we've been following him and our worship is focused on the cross and really the empty tomb, 
then that shifts our focus of worship too from the things that we can get caught up in in ourselves and, and things going on around us. And so Paul, as he was speaking to the Athenians, he helped them focus the worship from an unknown God to knowing God revealed through Jesus Christ. And he took that opportunity, Tony, if you can bring that one up, he, he took that opportunity to say, you know what, the person that you're seeking after and the person that you're missing, I know that person. And he used that opportunity to say, and this is who he is. And that is the opportunity that you and I are gonna get every day. The next slide, for transform worship, as we seek God, um, it's gonna turn us away from ourselves and towards the Lord. And I, I've heard this quote so often, and I heard it again this past week, which was a good reminder of what I was planning on talking to you about, was we become what we worship. What, we've, what we set our focus on is what we worship. Um, I, have, I have a couple friends who experience infertility as, as parents. And when they had their children, everything became about their children. And at one point, my friend told me, she was, you know, I feel like I am guilty of son worship right now because everything in my life was revolved around having my child and then I finally got them and, and they have everything. And, and she was telling me, she's like, and I feel like I've kind of lost my focus of God in this because my, everything was onto my kid. But who gave me my kid? It was God. And so I think it's really important for us as we think about Paul talking to people that were outside of the understanding of worshiping the one true God, are we, are we guilty of that too, where we can get caught up in all the other things that we put our attention and our love and our devotion to, or is it to the Lord Jesus Christ and to, and to, and to the things that are him? Next slide. Transformation means worship is also not just on the outward, but on the inward. So as we come here today, you know, think about the things that we, that we do together, and, and it's really beautiful, too, that we model them to our children. We're, we're standing in reverence of Scripture, of God's Word, if we can stand. You know, if you can't stand, that's okay. It's still, you know, we're still saying it. We're singing. We're praising Him. You know, the, the interesting thing about Christianity, too, is we are the most sing-songiest religion because we are singing praises to the Lord. He gave us life and breath and voice, and so that is a distinctive too with Christians. But it means that our worship not just is on the outward here, but it's what's going on inside in here. In Exodus 20, two through four, the King James Version says this way, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make more yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And I think that's so important for us to remember is God, and, and to be asking, God, is there things in my life right now that I am putting above you? Have I, have I been guilty of this? Um, and, that's a, and that's a hard place to examine, but it's a good place to examine because when God brought his people out of, out of Egypt, he told them, he said, be distinctive. Worship only me. Don't worship the things that, that were in the past or that you saw around you in Egypt, but worship me. And so today, church, I, I want to just encourage you to think about how are you worshiping God? How is he transforming your, your act and your ability to worship? Um, three types of worship for us to think about is, is idol worship. And it's kind of funny because I'm sure that most of us don't have, you know, um, an idol in our house that we're burning smoke to and, and bowing down to that's over in the corner. But it could be anything that's other than God that we worship. Idols are dead. And when we worship idols, we become like them. So to think about what are the things in our life that we could basically say, that is a dead thing and that is where I'm putting my love and devotion to. 
and that is not what God has for me. It could be also idol worship, I-D-L-E. When we, share, when we worship God with our lips only, and, it's, and I think, too, that when we've been in a relationship with someone for a long time, we can almost go through the motions, like, like I, I, when my daughter was leaving, like, bye, Mom, love ya, love it. I'm like, you don't really mean that. That doesn't sound very sincere at all. And she's like, I love you. Is that more sincere? But I think we can become like that with God, where we become so familiar with him that, that our, almost our praise to him can almost sound like it's not our heart involved in the process. The Pharisees worship like that with their words, but their heart was distant from God, which is what Jesus called them out on. And then there's the third option, which is ideal worship. When we worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Trinity is involved in worship, which is what also makes us distinctive as Christians. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we know that Jesus is the truth, and that's a quote by Vladimir Savchuk. And I... I just want to encourage you this morning as you think about God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. And so today, too, if you, we're going to spend some time praying as we get done today in a little bit, but thinking about, God, where do I need to renew my spirit with you as I worship you so that I am fully connected to you, not just going through the motions, but with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Some important values that we have at New City for worship is through, through learning together through scripture, um, Sundays through small groups through individual study. I liked at um, I was looking through some of the materials that Chris had given me when I when you guys were interviewing me. And one of the things is is the monastic is saying that we are we are corporately worshiping together, but we're also responsible individually for our own worship with God. So it's it's together and it's also in our own time that we connect through community. We eat, socialize, and pray for and with each other, which is why I come to Soul Food next week. Hang out after church, get to know each other more, worship together in our common love for Jesus. And we also share about Jesus. That's also our worship. We share his love. We share his mercy, compassion, and justice as a lifestyle of worship. Those are all important things in this church body that I'm catching on to as I spend more time with y'all. Um, I'm going to end with a quick story. Um, I'm a runner, and in March, I got a new pair of shoes. And I didn't get, I didn't wait for the pair of shoes that I normally get. I'm a Saucony runner. If any of you care about running shoes, it's a thing. Um, and I've worn Saucony for like mm, 20 years. So I got this pair of Asics because I liked the color. <laughs> they were, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say that. I, yeah. They were this color, which is my favorite color. Um, and, and they were a really good deal. And I got them home. And then the next day, I went on a nine-mile run with my friend Cheryl. Bad idea. <laughs> the next day, I'm like, I could hardly walk. And, and the shoe, like the, um, the heel of the shoe was too narrow, and, and I really messed my foot up. So I kept trying to run, and I'm like, I'm gonna, I bought these shoes. I'm going to make them work. That's how I am. And, um, and my foot kept hurting. So then I'm like, I'm going to buy a different pair of shoes. So I went and found a neutral pair of Saucony's. I'm like, I'm going to go back to what I know. My foot still keeps hurting, still. I'm going to find another pair of shoes. So I went, I got another pair of Saucony's. Um, so now I'm on third pair of shoes since March, which is something that I don't do um, at all. I'm a pretty 500-mile runner, you know, that I get my new shoes. So at this point, I'm like, my foot is screaming. It hurts all the time. It hurts even to walk. I'm hobbling, and I'm like, something is wrong. And my friend's like, why don't you go to a doctor? And I'm like, that's probably the shoes. She's like, how many pairs of shoes have you gone through? 
maybe you should go to a doctor. So I went to a physical therapist. Turns out I have tendonitis in my arch that started from plantar fasciitis, which probably started from the shoes that I bought that were not the right pair of shoes. And now I'm on shoe number four and going to a physical therapist. And what caught me was, and the connection to worship, is that I, I kept trying to figure things out on my own. I kept seeking out other things rather than going to the person that could tell me what was wrong and what was going on in the first place. And I thought about that, how now my foot is getting better. I have a really good pair of shoes. I actually went to Mizuno. They're pretty good. We're trying them. But the physical therapist is helping me strengthen and, and heal what was broken, what was wrong with my foot. And I kept thinking about how in worship and in the things that we prioritize before God, oftentimes we'll go to every single other place than God. And really, he's the one there the whole time. And so today, whatever, whatever is like your one, two, three, four pair of shoes for you, you know, for, for some of us, it can be substances. For some of us, it can be um, relationships. For some of us, it could be food. For some of us, it could be Netflix and zoning out and watching two seasons in 24 hours of a show. It, it could be anything else that we go to to comfort and soothe ourselves and heal ourselves than God. And so that is when we, we get it right, we put our attention back on him, focusing on him, on who he is and his place in our lives. And then we get it right and we're back to healing and our energy is put in the right place. This morning as we close, we are going to be praying um, the Acts, we're going to starting with the Acts model, and um, I think Jamie and Stephen are going to be coming up and um, praying and playing with, with me as I lead us in prayer. Um, somebody, too, that we can be praying for this week is Claire. Claire is our um, administrator and children's administrator, and she is up north with her grandma. Her grandma is dying, and um, her grandma is very important to her, and she said we could pray for them and also just pray for her grandma to finish well as her grandma um, prepares to leave this world and go to heaven. Um, ACT stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And so this morning as we begin, um, it's appropriate as we talk about worship that we start with adoration. So um, I'm going to just be leading us in prayer, and I would invite you to pray with me. Oh, Father, we, we worship you, we love you, we praise you. Jesus, you have done everything for us. You have given your life on, on our behalf. Lord, you lived every single thing in this world that we have lived through, and you didn't sin. Lord, you have compassion and mercy for us for the things that are hard in this world. And Lord, we praise you and we, we thank you for who you are. God, you are worthy of our all. You are worthy of our love. You are worthy of our time. You are worthy of our thoughts. You are worthy of our energies. You are worthy of our resources. Thank you for being beautiful and being awesome and good. Oh God, we worship you today. Father, we confess that we usually go our own way and not your way. We confess that we are hard-hearted and stubborn and stiff-necked and determined often to do exactly the opposite of what you have best for us or want for us. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have been dishonest this week. Forgive us for the ways that we hurt another with our words or our intentions. 
Forgive us for not trusting you this week. Oh God, we need you so much. And Jesus, we pray for, for your mercy in our lives. And we thank you for the gift of forgiveness through the cross and the empty tomb. Oh Father, we give you thanks for every single thing you give us in this world. Thank you that we have life and breath right now. Thank you that we have the gift of togetherness right now, that we have presence and people with us. Thank you, Jesus, for our community. Thank you for the homes that we have and the people that are in the homes with us. We thank you for our nation, and we, we thank you so much, God, that you have given us this beautiful land to live in. Thank you for our world that you have blessed us with, that, that you've made our world so specific that if we were just a hair off on either side, Lord, we would not have anything here. But this planet you've made is special, and, and we thank and praise you, God, that you have put us on it. We thank you for our jobs. We thank you for our schools. We thank you, God, for every single thing that you have given to us in this world. Oh, Lord, we praise you. and and acknowledge that it all comes from you. Lord, as we lift our, our concerns to you, God, this morning, we trust, God, that you can do more than what we could ask or imagine. Lord, your word says that you can do abundantly and exceedingly more than what we could ever ask or imagine. And so, Lord, we we. We collectively share our burdens to you, Lord, today. Lord Jesus, we lift up people in our lives that we are burdened for. We lift up people that we we know need you, Lord, and, and are outside of a relationship with you. And Lord, we pray for their salvation and we pray for, for them to come to know you and, and to know that you don't have to be unknown any longer, Lord, that you can be known to them because you already know them. Lord, we pray for revival in our churches. Holy Spirit, that you would come down and, and fill us up and send us out as we are your people in this world. God, we pray for people that are sick and struggling. We pray for our children as they prepare to go to school into so many unknown situations. We pray, God, for those of us that are struggling with, um, with burdens that just seem too much. Oh, God, we, we give them to you, and we trust, God, that you are already ahead of us and you're doing something about it thank and praise you, Jesus, for being with us as we lift, lift you up and make you big and acknowledge that you are Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.